Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. This week I had like, I don't have panic attacks anymore, but I panicked a little bit. And the reason why is because I was watching, okay, I was watching Star Trek. But anyways, that's beside the point. But in there, they they made a comment of a truth that I'm guessing you have heard before. And that is, they said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've heard that before? And then I thought about our message series called Empowered. So it, it might as well be called Corruption. Corruption, because we have all this power, that if God gives us this power, and what are we going to do with this power that we have inside, that he gives us through the Holy Spirit, that it, it has the power also to corrupt us. And I'm here to tell you today that that is true. It's true. I want you to think about specific areas of your life where there is uh, Power, where people have power, and I am willing to bet that in every one of them, there is corruption. Well, maybe not. The first one is government. We know there's no corruption there. With that power, right, you look at it and you're like, oh my goodness gracious, if, if all of the power that was abused was used for good, imagine where we would be. But certainly not in the church, right? Corruption. Corruptions with pastors and other leaders in the church and the shameful things that they have done, the way they have abused the weakest especially, those who come for help and and they use the position and authority of the office of a pastor to, to, to engender trust and then to hurt them. It happens at work. There is power at work, and there are people who are in positions of authority. And I have to believe that there is corruption at your workplace too, where people use it for their own advantage, their own needs. They're willing to step on other people to get to where they want to go. The truth that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, we know by experience this to be the case. And so when we start today, the message, of the empowered by calling, this is calling specifically to positions of leadership. And so if you want to use the, the word power, you can do that as well. And it's important for us from the very beginning that we understand what this looks like and the empowerment of calling, what that means for each one of our lives uh, and, and what it means for the church. And so where I want to start is an Old Testament story. And this story goes over a a number of chapters. It goes over actually a a whole lifetime. And so I'm going to condense it. And and it's the story really of three kings. Well, two kings and one wannabe king. And they were the first two kings of Israel and then the son of one of the, the kings. And the first one, this is about a thousand years before Jesus, his name was Saul. Saul lived a thousand years before Jesus, and he was the first king of Israel. And, and, and so when they went through this, and they went through the whole process of becoming the king, Saul didn't feel like he was worthy of it. Actually, when he was told he was going to be anointed as the king, he went and hid. He, he was so afraid of it that he was like, I'm, I'm not worthy to be king. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
But finally they came, and, and the process they had was called anointing. And that was they would take some oil, and, and a prophet or a priest would pour the oil on his head. And that was a sign from God. This is the one I have chosen. And, the, and from that time period, he would then be called the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen one who is going to be king. And so as Saul became king and he he got more and more used to the role of king, he liked it. And he liked being recognized as the one who was in charge and the one who had authority. And what happened over time is the power that was given to him as king began to corrupt Saul. And it corrupted his heart and, and it turned him away from God. And this is the part that I need you to understand and that in this talk about power is this, is Saul began to see the power that he had in his position as king as his. This is my position. And then not only did he see it as his, he saw it as his to lose and his to be hung on to, that he had above all things, he had to hold on to it so it wouldn't be taken away from him. And so what happened is David comes on the scene and David kills Goliath. And then David goes into battle and he's recognized as the best leader they have in their army. And the women begin to sing the song, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And that cuts so deeply into Saul's pride And the power from that moment on, he tried to kill David. David is going to try to take this kingdom from me. That is never going to happen. This is mine to lose. And when it did, and when you read about Saul, especially from that time on, he is so ugly and so tortured because he is looking at this power as something that someone's trying to take from him. And he spent all of his time and energy trying to hold on to something That wasn't his. It was God's. And because of that, he lost sight of it. And and, and it ruined him. The other person of the third, I want to go to the end one next. And the next one that we're going to talk about is Absalom. And Absalom is... David's son. And this is after David was anointed to be king. David became king, and and for a a long period of time, he was king. But then Absalom, as David was getting older, Absalom was thinking, you know what? I'm the son of the king. This crown, this position, this power is mine to take. And so what he did is over a period of time, he sat outside where where David did the judging, and whenever someone came with a judgment that was against them, he would listen to them and say, man, that doesn't sound fair. It doesn't seem to me like you got justice. If I was the king, if I was in a position where I would do this, I think I would see these cases more clearly, and I would give you justice, just saying. And slowly but surely, he tried to engender the trust of many of the people. He, he tried to stir the pot a little bit of discontent, all in an effort to go and take the kingdom away from David. And finally, one day, he did. He had himself declared king. He had an army, and, and he marched on Jerusalem. And in the midst of all of this, David left. David marched out. He, he, just, he, he didn't even fight him. Absalom was later killed. 
not too long after this. And, and, and as he was in the midst of this, the problem with the power was this. Saul thought it was his to hang on to. Absalom thought it was his to go and get. That I want this power and I want to aspire. I want to climb ladders. I want to get this power. And in the middle of these two, you have King David. Well, David, as I said, he, he killed Goliath. He was a leader in the army. And once Saul had turned his back on the Lord, God had the prophet anoint David to be the next king, even when Saul was still alive. And so in, in that time period when Saul heard about that, he wanted to kill him, right? He's holding on to this. He's hoarding power. And in the midst of this, David refuses. He, he looks at this position and this power as the king, and he says, it's not mine to take. It's God's to give. And so there were times when, when, when Saul was going after David that, that David even went in. There was a time he cut a piece off of Saul's robe while he was sleeping just to show you, I could have killed you today. When are you going to get it? I am not trying to take your position. And by the way, it's not your position. It's God's. It's the, and when it's right and when it's time for me to have this, I will have it if God wants me to have it. And then even after he was king and Absalom was coming up against him and Absalom was trying to take it away and individuals were telling him, you know what you need to be like? You need to be more like Saul. You need to grab onto that kingdom and say, no one's ever going to take this away from me. That David said, no. I am the Lord's anointed and this position of, of being king is God's both to give to me and God's to take away and if God wants me here, he will restore it to me. And in the midst of those three kings, the, these king, the king who, who wanted to grab power and, and, and the would-be king who, who wanted to go and get it, and David who simply recognized the power came from God and stood with his hands open and said, Lord, you can give and you can take away and I will trust you to do both that you begin to understand this truth that you need to understand about calling. When it comes to calling and who God anoints for a specific position, who God calls for a specific position, it is about faith and trust, not in people. This is an important lesson because this is about faith and trust in God. In God to put individuals into positions that they are definitely not capable of, but in those positions they are empowered by him to fulfill his purpose. Which makes this a very important lesson in faith. Because there are going to be times when you think you know better. I guarantee that. I don't care if it's at work, I don't care if it's government, I don't care if it's church, Every position where you're in a position where there is someone in authority, you second guess what they do and you think you could do it better. You always do that. And there's a pride and there's an arrogance to it that God is trying to crush through calling and recognize that our power comes from him and not from us. That's what we're going to look at right now. And so we go to Acts 1 verses 8 to 9. This is uh, some verses we read last week, and it's just a kind of a summary. 
And, the, and we begin. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is an event that's a very important event. And it's called the ascension where Jesus ascended up into heaven. And so one of the things you're going to to find out about power, if you don't already know this, which I know you do, that, that power can get especially ugly when there's a transfer of power. That maybe where you're at at work, it's okay with the boss who's there now that you're like, yeah, he's the boss. But when he leaves, I guarantee there are going to be four, five, 10, 20, 50, 100 people who want that position and who want that authority, and they want to be the boss. And when that happens, the gloves come off. And that's where you get to see the ugliest things. Think about that. It's, it's going to be coming. The times when we have the elections, and especially a presidential election, I mean, we get to the point where we're like, oh my goodness, how many of these commercials, attack commercials, do we have to watch? And, and they are, they're brutal. And, and you get to a point where you're convinced everyone's lying. It's just a matter of who's lying the most and, and how much dirt sticks. That is the time, that's what Jesus' ascension, just so we're clear, is happening. Jesus is leaving, and as Jesus is leaving, there is this possibility of a vacuum of leadership and power, and now where is it going to go? And so, let's start first of all with the ascension, what it means. Jesus' ascension into heaven showed, number one, the the first point, his work of pain for sins was over. His work of pain for sin was over. And since his work of sin was over, no one was going to take his place. And for those of you who think you have to be the savior of everyone in your lives, uh, newsflash, Jesus did it, you don't have to. Enough of the savior mentality, enough of the martyr mentality where you're going to go in and you're going to make everyone else's lives the right way. No, you are not called and empowered by the spirit to do that. Okay? Just so we're clear. This position was fulfilled by Jesus and was not filled once he left. Next point, we should not expect to see him until he returned, until his return. And just so you know, when he does, you won't have to wonder. You will know. And, and we're told that the whole world will know. And, and as a matter of fact, he said, Jesus himself said, if you hear rumors that here is the Christ or there is the Christ, he said, don't believe it. Don't believe it. When I come back, Everyone will know. You'll hear the trumpet call of God, all of that. Dead will rise. Trust me, you will know. But what has happened is Jesus has transferred branches. From, from the Jerusalem office, he went to the home office. And that's where he's at now, the home office in heaven. So the next point is he is ruling at God's right hand. He is ruling at God's right hand. He did not retire but rather went and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That means that today he rules in the church, rules the world, and and rules through his word. And then the final one, he has empowered his church to lead. There are individuals now who, who are going to be in his church, imperfect, not saviors, 
but yet they are leading God's people. Let's go to the next verse. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At first, at first glance, this, this really, there's not a lot to it. Okay, so after that they went. But, but this is very important. And here's why. Number one, they actually did what they were told. Oh my goodness. They obeyed. They listened. When Jesus said, I'm going up into heaven, the Holy Spirit is going to come. But until then, go back to Jerusalem and wait. They actually did it. They didn't get impatient and say, well, we better start this work now. Jesus is obviously gone. No, they said, why don't we go back and listen to what Jesus said? They obeyed. The second thing they did is they gathered. That they said, you know what? We're not just going to separate and isolate. We're going to come together. This is very important that we gather around each other and, and we encourage each other in the faith. Next is they prayed. Constantly, they all join together constantly in prayer. So they're praying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Lord, continue to be with us. Lord, continue to guide us. And then the final thing they did, which is probably the hardest for us, is they waited. They waited. They weren't told exactly when, so they had to wait. And I'm telling you, if you want to be a leader in God's church, you better learn to wait because that's the first lesson. It's always the first lesson is patience. It's the first part of love. It's the first part of leadership is patience. And in this, oh my goodness, it's patience what, with God? Patience for God's timetable and not your own? Yeah. In the blank, you can write, the gospel is the work of Jesus, so that's the, the Savior work. The book of Acts is how the Holy Spirit empowers everyday people. And the names that are given there are not very impressive names, but they were names of those that God would empower and those that Jesus called to be apostles. And for that reason, they, they stand out. They were leaders in the church. They were those who were in charge of making sure the things were done, like obeying and praying and gathering. And as you hear those words, that when you look at what had changed since Jesus left, the answer should be nothing other than the fact that Jesus wasn't there. The work continued. Next verses. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Here we go. Cover the kids' ears a little bit. Uh, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there fell headlong, his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, which means the field of blood. Let's do the fill-in right away with this one. From the start, from the start, Jesus called individuals to lead. 
And these leaders are not perfect. This is probably one of the biggest things in, in leadership to understand. As uh, Stephen talked about when we confessed our sins, you had people like Judas, but you also had people like Peter, and then all of the 12 ran away from Jesus. They, they were less than perfect, and yet at the same time that they were recognized as individuals who were called by Christ, empowered by Christ, that they still did the work but yet they realized they were imperfect as they did it. And so as we, we realize this and, and, and power that's given in the church, it's important for us to understand this is never going to be like Jesus. It's not going to be perfection. That we are going to have to deal with shortcomings and weaknesses of, of leaders and brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's why it's so important that we gather. And part of what we do as we gather around God's word is we confess our sins to each other. I stand right next to you, right next to you, as you confess your sins here today. Every day as I remember my baptism and I remember I have a sinful nature that needs to be drowned and put to death because when it comes to the positions of power and serving in God's church, I'm as selfish as they come. Very important that we understand this. God uses broken people. God uses imperfect people to do his will. We continue. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so what is happening in this moment is we recognize Jesus' position was not being filled. Jesus was still in it. But Judas' position, as they looked at the 12 and the 12 that were the, the leaders of the church, his position was. And what he did is he showed the qualification of a leader. Let's go back to God's word and let God speak to us. And specifically here, this was a prophecy about this, that someone would take his place. And so right now, I'm going to give you a technical term, two technical terms about the calling process. And there are calls that are immediate, immediate, so like immediate, right away. And there are other calls that are mediate. And so an example of an immediate call is when God calls you personally, that would be the, the situation like Jonah. The Lord came to Jonah and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And when it comes to immediate calls, you can't say no. Uh, God says, no, this is what you're doing, and I'm telling you, you go do this. And, and this was what was used uh, throughout in the Old Testament where you would have the anointing that God would tell the prophets, God would tell the priests, this is my choice. But in the New Testament, God does not use that, that immediate way of calling. He uses what is called a mediate way, you, meaning that there is someone who is the go-between between God and this person to go through the calling process. And there are, are, are many different ways that you can do this, and, and many different ways that churches do it today. 
But basically what it is is God using individuals, everyday people like you, to say, you know what, we need to look into this and, and we need to set a standard, first of all, is this person trained to do this job? And so, as this example, what they said is they, they had criteria for a leader. And that criteria was he had to be around since John the Baptist, and he had to be following this whole time for three years, following around just like everyone else had. So he needs to have received the same instruction that we have had. And that was the standard. And as we do that today, we do, we do it the same way. That by virtue of me getting up on stage and sharing God's word with you, that, that we have standards in our church body, and, and quite honestly, they're pretty high. That four years of college, four years of seminary, a master's degree, eight years of Greek, six years of Hebrew, I mean, it's, it's not easy. But what it is is it's a standard so that we know when we come up here to teach that we have the, the power to do this, not of our own, but at least that we can go and we have the ability to study and, and do the research. And at the same time, the first thing I do when I start to write a message is pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Lord, yeah, this isn't an academic study. This is how the Holy Spirit works through the word. In the blank, you can write, God calls people in every generation for leadership and the first role of a leader is to follow God's direction. It's to follow God's direction. And that's what they did, going back to God's word. Lord, Lord help us. And, and, and then those who would be leaders needed to know, needed to have these words of Christ, needed to have the training that Christ gave them. Final words. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men, notice these words, show us which two of these two men you have chosen. And so in this, they recognize that immediate call that they're saying, even though we're the ones who are going to, to set these qualifications of, of who it could possibly be, that ultimately, Lord, we're not looking, this isn't an election. This isn't a process where I'm trying to get my guy because I know him and I'm related to him or he's family or whatever it is. It's not like that at all. But it's Lord saying, this is the one you have chosen. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Let's fill in the blank right away. God continues to use his spirit to empower to empower and his church to call leaders in every generation. He uses his spirit to empower and his church to call leaders in every generation. This is where it gets interesting, okay? This is now the place that as we've gone through this, this is kind of academic, but it's very practical. And here's why. April 1st, see, I've been, I've, the, the language has been changing. We have done this over a, a, a period of time, but on April 1st, 
I was named the senior pastor at Crosswalk, Crosswalk Church. And we made a conscious decision not to make a big deal about it. But the reality of it is, is our other senior pastor, Jeff Gunn, is going to be retiring in three years. And so what is happening over this period of time is there is going to be a transition in leadership in our congregation. And it would be correct for individuals sitting out there today to say, Dan Salofra is no Jeff Gunn. And that is accurate in many different ways. And maybe, maybe there are individuals, and wouldn't be surprising, who would say, I don't know if Dan is capable of doing this. I mean, I think he's a nice guy, and I don't mind his sermons and stuff like that. And because I know an individual has already told me that. (laughs) Not my wife. (laughs) Dan Salofra has told me that. Because I know I'm no Jeff Gunn. And so what, what I started doing was reading a lot of leadership books. And that's helpful. And I've, I've, well, I've learned so much from Jeff. Jeff has been a wonderful mentor and a great friend and brother in Christ. But the reality of it is, is that what I really need to learn, I think I've learned from Saul and David and Absalom about who God uses in God's positions when it pleases him. And so to be the best leader at Crosswalk that I can be, I just need to be the best follower of Christ that I can be because I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit to do it. So, so in a very practical way. Now, might this change in two years? Might someone else with different leadership gifts come and, and, and the people of Crosswalk say, Dan Salofra has brought thousands to, to Crosswalk, but the new pastor has brought tens of thousands. I will be the first to applaud and welcome him into my chariot uh, so that we can, the Crosswalk chariot. But, but the reality of it is, is that to have this type of mentality as well It's important for you. It's important for you because with all the ministry we do at Crosswalk, and Jeff has been as good at this as anyone, it's never been about him, and it's not. Working with the guy day to day, you can tell when it's about them and when it's not, and it's not. And he's the fact that probably you might not even have known this before today, that we were simply doing the planning, looking ahead, trusting God, But maybe a part where it is wearing on you, for those of you who are maybe a little more connected at Crosswalk, is when we go through the call process of getting our third pastor, which is going on to the seventh or eighth call in 12 months, where you're just like, oh oh my goodness. Because I'm telling you, if if this was me in charge, God, he'd be here already. And he would already be in his position because... I'm getting a little stretched, okay? I'm, um, that's just reality. That's just truth. But even in the midst of this time, that I think it's important for us to go back to what the church does. And that is we obey, we pray, and we gather. And we remember Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And so as we gather, we remember his, his promises in baptism, his, his, his reminder to go and make disciples of all nations. 
and, and we continue to do the work that laid out before us today and maybe even wait. And as we wait, we put our hope and our trust in him. This calling thing, this, this calling process is a wonderful thing by which God uses his people to accomplish his purpose in his church. And as we do that, let's, let's celebrate it. Let's continue to celebrate it as, as we lead in the direction our, that, that leaders guide us, as we have a vision of being a church that unchurched people love to come to, as we have a mission of being a, a fully developed follower of Christ, as we learn his word and as we live it out in our lives, as we have our crosswalk values in front of us, which if you don't know them, they're right hanging on the wall, starting with caring community of believers, real Bible teaching outreach-minded, strong in grace, strong in truth, willing to share our wealth generously, um, aspire to excellent, low ourselves as servant, keep on learning and growing, exclamation point, never get up. Yeah, I know what they are, and I try, and, but the point is, that's fine if I know what they are. It's like, okay, Dan, now let's see you live them. That's the key. So going from here today, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are empowered to to believe. You are empowered to follow. You are strengthened to do that every day of your life. So go with confidence. The Holy Spirit is with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the power that you have given us through Jesus Christ, the, the power that you have given us through your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that in every generation you have raised up leaders that have gone from decade to decade, century to century, millennium to millennium, all of them, through their leadership, you have brought us here today where the gospel continues to be preached, uh, that we still join in your ministry, that we still worship you. Lord, thank you for the leaders who have come before us and it makes us realize you do know what you're doing, Lord. Uh, and that is you're, you're having this good news of Jesus Christ come to every generation. Help Crosswalk to always have leaders who guide people to you. Help, help the leaders here at Crosswalk be good followers and, and good examples to the people under their care. And finally, Lord, help us to all grow, continue to grow in faith in you and in love towards one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. All right. As we go from here today, just a reminder to keep in the book of Acts and, and the empowerment series, keep coming. There is so much power, uh, so many things that the Holy Spirit does for us, through us, in us, uh, through his word, through his sacrament. It, it's just a blessing and, and something, especially during this time of year, to keep that power up is, is so important. And as you go now, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great day.